All right, good afternoon. I assume it's uh, got to be close to noon. Uh, we have four panelists today. One uh, thought better of coming up here and being grilled by the audience and, and bailed out on us, but uh, I'm sure these uh, four gentlemen are happy to take the extra time to uh, talk about what they're doing. I'm Mike Timpone at Seward and Kissel. And before this thing falls again, I'm going to put it under here. Um, Immediately to my left is Isaiah Tobek. He's at Castle Lake. He's a director over there. Uh, Castle Lake owns 18 vessels. He told me that that fleet is mostly comprised of tankers, but I'm going to ask everybody to tell me a little bit about what they do as we go down the, uh, down the list. Most of these folks, and I don't know each other, so it's a learning experience for me as well as for you. Um, immediately to his left is uh, Albert, and I'm sorry if I torture this, Ganushin. Uh, the best I could do. And, uh, and Albert is uh, the London-based head of capital markets at Dr. Peter's group. So uh, he may be able to tell us a little bit as to whether or not the folks on the last panel were uh, telling us the truth or, uh, uh, you know, if there are real opportunities out there. And to uh, Albert's left is Ty. Uh, Ty Wallach is a partner at Paulson & Co. Um, he's the co-manager of the Paulson Credit Opportunities Funds. Um, he's also on the director of on the board of International Seaways and Overseas Shipholding Group. Um, and immediately to his left, uh, over at the end there, is Art Regan. Uh, Art's the oper an operating partner at Apollo Investment Consulting. He's also the president and chief executive officer uh, and a director of Principal Maritime. Uh, Art is also on the board at Genco. Art's been in this uh, in this business a while, and he's going to have a, a lot of valuable insight for us, I'm sure. Um, but if I can, as promised, start with uh, Isaiah. And Isaiah, you know, tell us all a little bit about uh, what you and Castle Lake do. Sure. Uh, Castle Lake's a private equity fund, uh, $13.5 billion. Uh, we invest at the asset level. We're based in Minneapolis. Uh, a lot of the Minneapolis funds cut from a similar cloth. Uh, where, where instead of doing platform transactions, it's typically dislocated industry where you're looking to acquire assets and then eventually spin them out. I think in shipping, uh, it's a market that we've been involved in for a number of years. Uh, as you mentioned, 18 vessels. So today we have uh, 13 product tankers, uh, LR1s. Uh, we have four chemical tankers. And then uh, we've been whittling down our, our offshore support fleet. So we're down to one at this point. And Albert? Dr. Peters is a real asset uh, investment manager based in Germany. It's, um, it's known to uh, have been a very successful KG house in the past, and it's in pro process of transforming itself in a more institutionally driven um, real asset manager. It's been around since 1975. When it started in German real estate, it's got into shipping in the 90s. In shipping, it's invested in roughly 85 ships of all shapes, forms, and sizes, and deployed money in approximately $4.5 billion of assets worth in shipping. And um, 10 years ago, it's also got into the aviation business, wide-body wide body aircraft leasing, essentially. Um, and um, so it manages uh, roughly 20 aircraft uh, uh, in wide-body uh, wide leasing market. So. Uh, we had not, uh, we'd invested very heavily in the business from 1990 to 2007, which is a you know top of the shipping crisis, and um, uh, had not invested since. But are looking to offer institutional investors um, products uh, in both uh, private and public equity, as we have done in aviation in London, uh, going forward. Hi, I'm Ty Wallach, a partner of Paulson & Co. Uh, Paulson manages uh, about $9 billion across equity and credit and real estate, uh, et cetera. 
Um, I, uh, I co-manage all of our credit exposure with John Paulson. Uh, we have a focus on restructurings and distress situations, which, how, which is how I became the shipping guy in our office. Uh, no offense, uh, but um, uh, we, uh, we currently have investments in both OSG and uh, International Seaways, which was a spinoff from OSG, and I'm on the board of both. Hi, uh, Art Regan with Apollo. Uh, we're a large asset manager, have been investing in shipping for about 10 years now, and really it, it comes from both private equity platform and a credit platform, and because of the scale, have actually done direct investments, direct equity, including full management of assets, uh, have also done first lien financing and pretty much everything in between have been in and continue to be in several of the shipping sectors, containers, dry bulk, tankers, and, and a, a little bit of offshore. And the, uh, uh, the firm has a kind of global attitude around investing and around commodities and transportation. So I think that's a differentiating factor that uh, we act as one voice and uh, very much uh, open for new business. These days, the credit platform is probably more active for structured types of uh, opportunities, and probably less so on the long hold and deep cyclical private equity funding, uh, but very much interested in, uh, in new business. Thanks, everybody. I'm, I'm going to start with you, Art. I, I know part of the answer to this question is because you're a shipping guy and you went to Fort Schuyler, and you know there's probably uh, salt coursing through your veins. But you know, wh why shipping? How, how, when the Apollo folks, when you go to the Apollo folks and say, "I have an opportunity um, to, to invest," and and they ask you why shipping, why now? Uh, you know, why why is shipping this? You know, this segment people should be investing in with, uh, you know, assuming that you're industry agnostic. I mean, firstly, it's, it's obviously such a highly capital-intensive industry, so it's a great place for any, any large asset management firm to, to be paying attention to. It is truly tied to global GDP, so you can't, the world doesn't exist without shipping, and it does have its cycles. So that's where um, well-formed capital and a little bit of operating expertise can, in some cases, time things well. And therefore, I think it's, it's something that uh, the firm will always be interested in. The, the mandate is really uh, looking for undercapitalized companies or opportunities where otherwise the, the, the sponsor is doing everything right. So, uh, you know, I think it's somewhere we'll, we'll, we'll always be in. Now, you said, uh, I think half jokingly, that you're in shipping because you're a restructuring guy. Uh, my restructuring guys tell me all the time they know more about shipping than they ever wanted to. Um, but, you know, what I guess what drove the initial investment decision and what brings you here clearly perhaps interested in making another investment? Sure. Yeah, no, we, we originally got involved. I originally got involved in shipping through, through Overseas Shipholding Group, which went through a restructuring. Um, we helped fund the rights offering to take it out of bankruptcy. Um, and and uh, thus was my introduction to, uh, to the glamour of shipping world. Um, since then, we have looked at a number of different areas. We spent some time in dry bulk and in container ships. Uh, we've dabbled in the public securities. Um, we do manage funds that, that invest in both public and private securities, and so we're always looking for different opportunities. From our standpoint, though, you know, I have not spent my life in shipping, and um, there are obviously a lot of people in this room who have, and so for us to have an edge, we have to feel like um, we have an expertise in an area, and for me, that, that that's restructuring. So when there are situations where there's where there's debt trading at a discount that we can take and convert it into equity, or when there is a company that's struggling to um, 
to get cap badly needed capital to invest in, in its in its own fleet um, or to pay down other debt that it that it needs to uh, needs to pay down. Uh, those are areas that we can come in, um, hopefully create uh, our investment at a lower valuation than than you'd otherwise see healthy companies out, out in the industry trading at, um, and really create value that way. Because for me to just you know take a take a view on where vessel prices are going, um, I think would be uh, would would be somewhat arrogant given given uh, how much time all of you spend doing that, and, it, and it's really only a portion of my time. Albert, uh, you, you said, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Peter started in, in real estate, and uh, I guess they just had making too much money and decided to invest in shipping because they were looking for losses to offset those gains. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. Come on. There's got to be a reason. Clay says yes. The reason is very simple. Um, we, we have a uh, the, the, uh, the, back, the background of Dr. Peters is servicing originally the needs of the retail investors in Germany. So I have a capital markets background, and so I can tell you that uh, German investors, for better or worse, generally, and corporates, by the way, have a skeptical view of even U.S. capital markets because they think it's a little bit of a kind of a, in their words, would be a pyramid scheme. For better or worse, um, uh, they believed, always believed, in owning real assets that um, generate yield. That, that is what this market fundamentally investing in German equity market is dominated by UK and US institutions, okay? So, so that is the reason that Dr. Peter's business has existed in the first place, is to manufacture those products for a retail market. So first real estate, and then it got into shipping, we got into shipping because that is a product where you can earn yield. So you must understand that our background is um, a long-term buy and hold equity investor. So every single shipping transaction what we've done, every single aviation transaction, every single real estate transaction is done more or less along the same template. So we buy an asset, typically on a long-term lease. So our tankers are typically 10-year time charters, yeah, to Costco's, BP's, Shell's of this world. So and you buy and hold and you pay down the debt and the investor owns the residual value in equity. And so you're right, sometimes um, there are dislocations in the market. And so it is possible for me to see a structure like this when an investor is holding equity in a VLCC and that equity may be underwater because the asset prices have come, da come down very substantially. But I would say that is still much better and you retain the upside, you know, you, you have the upside and that equity going forward, and it's still from the equity perspective management for us, that is the right kind of product. So aviation is the same, you know, so sometimes people have very clear views on what a Dreamliner would be worth in 10 years' time, and they may be right and may be wrong, but we find out that uh, there may be a dislocation with A380s, and suddenly market has huge... Um, uh, doubts as to what the value of A380 may be uh, going forward. And that may be right or maybe not right. You know, we actually there to deploy investor capital in long-term structures that uh, provide um, dividend yield and uh, return of capital and uh, be on the right side of the residual value trade at the end of the day. That is uh, our genesis. And uh, in addition, what we build around that is the full capability around fund management, um, investment management, but also asset management. So if we talk about shipping, you know, Dr. Peters manages 19 VLCCs today. That's a big number in the crew tanker space. We have a shipping company in Hamburg 
operating this commercially and technically, fully. So that is the value add, I guess, in addition to uh, you know, different proposition, different edge to people that maybe around this table, not all of them maybe, um, where we are that real asset manager, if you see what I mean, with an insight in the market, within the market every day, commercially, technically, um, and investment-wise. So that, that is the difference. Thank you. Isaiah, I'm, I'm going to ask you the same question, but tie in, in the next, uh, sure. because you said that uh, you, you've got one of your offshore assets left. Yeah. Um, so obviously you had more, and you've started to liquidate that position. So, uh, you know, why shipping, you know, for how long are, are you know, are, are, you, are you looking to liquidate the, the entire position? Obviously, you said chemicals and tankers, uh, LRs, so refined. Um, you know, is that the right? Is that the right market? Is that all you're interested in? Uh, so to answer the first question, I think longer than expected uh, is, I think, where most private equity has found themselves within uh, the shipping space. Uh, the truth, though, is, is that um, private equity uh, is uh, probably the only form, in my opinion, of institutional capital within the fund investing space that should be coming into a market like shipping, because you do have to have capital that is longer dated. Um, we did see. Uh, some of the hedge funds or some of the semi-lockup funds uh, with limited gating uh, abilities uh, come into this space and, and unfortunately found themselves very short. And so for us, um, we came into uh, the space pretty similar to, to Ty and his team. Um, you know, we are fundamentally uh, distressed investors, dislocated investors. I think distress has a little bit of a negative connotation to them, but uh, U.S. restructuring, global restructuring is really where I think we feel we have uh, an edge. And so. Um, uh, as we've continued to get further and further into the asset level investing, um, coming out of more distressed opportunities post-crisis, really, um, shipping was one where we were able to play in the public markets and then move into the private side because the value proposition was better than, I think, what we saw within the public markets. Um, having said that, though, uh, in terms of, of the hold and the likes, I mean, in the offshore space, uh, we've been very lucky in the, in the way that we've exited. I think, uh, uh, again, going back to that private equity capital style money, uh, you never want to be a forced seller. Um, and so uh, we're pretty serious about keeping lower leverage on our investments, uh, keeping flexible leverage, uh, and ensuring that we're never handing over the keys on any of our investments. And so for us, uh, we're happy to see it through, if you will. And so I, I do think that there's an interesting start in some of the segments that, that we're involved in. I think we can put offshore to the side for a moment, but uh, within the liquid space, I think we're seeing the green shoots uh, at the moment. And so if we are going to exit and the likes, I think that the next few years will uh, uh, tell us, and then we'll look to reinvest as the market continues to get interesting. Have your assets in a pool? Uh, are they managed, obviously, third-party no, no, managed, no, we, right? Uh, well, it depends on, uh, yes, chemicals I, are, I, I myself am not a technical manager yeah. nor a commercial manager. The third manager. parties are, I guess, uh, the chemicals are probably not in the pool, but the LRs are? Is uh, that other way around. Other way around. Uh, so our product tankers, um, we operate with Primarine. I think the, the team is here. Uh, and uh, We have a big enough operation that we don't need to be in a commercial pool. On the chemical tanker side, uh, just given it's a smaller holding, we've found it's a way to help reduce volatility from a cash flow perspective. Excellent. Or can, can I ask you, how is your strategy over the last five years, six years, how, how has it changed? Obviously, we, we know about your successes with principal. You know, how is, you know, what are you looking to do now? What's the strategy um, going forward as compared to when you started with Apollo? Yeah, that's, a, there, I mean, there, there has been a change, I would say. Initially, uh, much more private equity focused, 
I'm interested to play this cycle with the expectation that the returns would be substantial and come from both asset appreciation and from income. I think one of the things that we've observed and experienced is that you can't always anticipate that assets are going to appreciate, like Ty was saying, who, who knows what the values are going to be. So what has evolved is a thinking of much more reliance on income. So I think that's better suited towards credit investments. So one of my, one of my responsibilities is as shipping opportunities are, are brought to the firm, just trying to determine what particular pocket within Apollo would be interested in this type of deal. And it seems right now that more of the structured income-oriented sale leasebacks or longer-term charters uh, would be the flavor that would be most appealing today. So I, I think in answer to your question, the expectation that you can time it right at the bottom of the cycle and then, and then exit within five or seven years at a substantial private equity favorable return there's, there's just a lesser probability of that. Um, one of the components of that is the exit strategy. And I think initially it was easy to say in 2009 or 10, well, you could sell to a public company, you could take that entity public. And, and as we've seen with the valuations the way they are, that's just it's a very, very hard thing to rely upon. Therefore, again, back to more credit-oriented funding, which has a different kind of lifespan, not always termed, the ability to recycle funds after a sale. So just a little, more, little bit more flexible and probably better suited towards the shipping industry on a longer-term basis. The exit strategy question is, uh, is always interesting. The, uh, when all these projects were starting, right, we at Seward & Kissel hoped that they were all going to do an IPO. Right. That's our sweet spot. We thought uh, this is going to be fantastic, but we knew it wasn't going to happen. Um, now we see the mergers, um, and some of them we think are out of necessity, and some perhaps just opportunistic, uh, and others folks think that it's it's the right move. But I guess uh, I, I'd ask Ty, how do you, how do you see you know um, these mergers playing into the exit strategies of private equity? Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting question, and, and I, you know, I kind of feel like as I was thinking about the, uh, preparing for this, um, Art kind of echoed exactly what I would have said to that to that prior question, um, and I do think credit is going to be more important, particularly the ability to have flexible capital, specifically um, related to exit strategy. Um, it's you know, liquidity is important. I think you see mergers because scale is important in order to get that liquidity. Um, and, you know, as I said, I'm on the board of, of two companies which are, uh, which are performing well in their current environments, um, but neither one is a particularly liquid stock, and, and the management teams and the board have worked hard to, to try and improve that, and, you know, International Seaways has only been a standalone company for, for 15 months. Um, but, you know, I, th I think there are, you're seeing combinations out there. You're seeing combinations in the tanker space and other space uh, and other subsections of, of the shipping sector because liquidity is important. I think it was on the last panel towards the end, they, they talked about kind of the balance between scale and liquidity versus versus having a pure play. And uh, I think what we found is that institutional investors um, probably uh, value liquidity higher. Um, and so, you know, obviously if you can have scale within a pure play, that that's the ideal. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not an, e an easy answer, I think, um, uh, and in that respect, 
um, you know, we think about that going in and that has given us pause in certain situations when we're looking at private equity situations and how do we think we're, we're going to be able to exit. Um, and, you know, that's probably why we've been a little trigger shy um, of late in putting new, in new money in because we, we've, we have seen liquidity issues uh, in, in both our existing investments and, and the investments uh, of others. So um, not, not an easy answer. Isaiah, there's there's a balancing act here that we're talking about too, right? If you've got your 18 ships, right, you you've got your LRs, for instance, right? Is is a merger or an exchange for stock, you know, is is that appealing? I mean, how are you valuing valuing these assets? You know, there's a lot of questions here. If yeah. uh, <laughs> if you think you can get out, are you afraid when you go to sell 14 ships or 13 yeah. ships that you're going to cause panic? And maybe you're indicating a top. You know, how, how no. are you guys an analyzing? You know, you're out. I think, I think calling a top is a fool's errand. To be <laughs> totally honest, um, I, I think the mergers are necessary. I don't mean to piggyback and parrot what's already been said, but the mergers are necessary. I think because you are looking for liquidity, um, and I think there is a general trend in the market that leverage is coming down. People are turning more to yield-oriented vehicles. I think yield is something that particularly dollar investors can't find anywhere. Certainly euro investors can't find anywhere, and so there's a greater appeal if you can create something that has a, a reliable cash flow stream. Uh, I think that there is capital to back that. But um, you know, as, as has been said before, um, liquidity is gonna be the first question that anyone getting into this space is going to ask going forward just because they've seen so many uh, mistakes being made on that front. And I think that's really what it has been. And it doesn't help that we've seen the S&P markets, particularly within product tankers, all but freeze. Um, you know, you've only seen a few transactions go across the board, and some of them have been us actually picking up assets. And so uh, I don't think that there's going to be a concern about us timing the market and, and signaling a top. Um, I think uh, I'm intrigued by uh, mergers in general because I think that there's an opportunity there um, to create value for investors, both for our own as for um, other institutional capital that might be more yield-oriented than we are. And so I think that we'll look at those types of opportunities oper you know, opportunities opportunistically, but yeah, that's exactly what it is. Albert, what, what about you? You seem to have a buy and hold strategy, but there must be a time in the market, in the cycle, where you say, this is the right time to get out and you know we'll come back and, and, and buy another day. Not necessarily picking the top or picking the bottom, but you know, that the return's been sufficient or better than sufficient, and you think it's time to get out? So, um, because we, um, we come from this kind of DNA of um, a real asset equity manager, we, um, we are always happy to give investors an opportunity to make a decision. So, if they want to sell either an SAP market or um, a structure market, that's, that's all okay. Uh, although the question of liquidity in the sector more broadly is uh, very, very substantial. Um, so what, what we hope would happen uh, is that uh, shipping market will go over time towards where the aviation market has gone to. So I can give you an idea that in our aviation business, we started doing deals in the fund listed on LSE, you know, owned by major UK investors. So we just, you know, we buy a good lease and a good aircraft, you know, we put it in the fund. So, and it's traded uh, on an exchange um, and over time gets bigger um, and liquidity improves. So that may be a better way to achieve liquidity than uh, kind of more of a corporate approach. Um, you know, and I used to work for the NYSE, so I, you know, I'm familiar with a lot of NYSE listings, right? So coming out of the Europe and Middle East. So, 
you know, the reality is today, even some of the biggest shipping companies have market cap, you know, around a billion dollars. You know, you consider there are companies out there worth $600 billion plus, you know, so from the equity investor public perspective, this is just not there. So, um, and from the operational perspective, it's been said before, there is a natural limit to managing fleets of certain size. You know, it's like almost a Roman cohort kind of size, if you like, right? So then beyond a certain limit, operational complexity increases very significantly. So I actually, we, you know, we hope that a, you know, a listed fund structure, a clean, a lean and mean listed fund structure could be suitable for the shipping investors where, you know, we, when we talk about it, when we think about pension funds, investors, uh, uh, with that kind of investor universe in mind, we're happy to put a mix of products together, you know, different, um, different vessels on long-term channel charters, earning good return, you know, high single digits distribution, you know, targeting, um, you know, double-digit IRRs. That, that is normal for financing transportation assets, really. And so I think almost a bigger question, you know, private equity or otherwise in shipping is how do we normalize this industry into getting it into kind of shape that, you know, I know maybe the distressed guys don't want to hear the normalization, but we would like to hear the normalization scenario and talk about that as well. Because, you know, sometimes you get a, you know, you, you, you get bids on uh, junior financing that are way out of the market, right? So no one in the right state of mind like us certainly are never going to do anything like that. So that doesn't defies common sense, right? So this, this is, is this a valid industry? Yes. In terms of capital markets, I question when the biggest company is a billion dollar market cap, you know, give or take. But I think as an industry, as an industrial approach, that's what it needs to be thought about, you know. So it's a big industry, global industry, things need to move around and they need to be financed correctly. So we'd love to be part of the story uh, and part of that uh, uh, happening. I think it's going to make shipping a, a lot more boring, but uh, maybe that's a good thing. Yeah, exactly. Art, you know, how do we, I, I think Albert's got the right question. He's got the question. As soon as we answer, we'll, we'll all we'll all be finished. How we how do we normalize this? How do we normalize the cycles, or f maybe flatten them? The um, the thing that ruins most good shipping companies is debt. So I know there's a lot of bankers in the room and, and good friends of mine as well, but I think to get to a multi-billion dollar market cap so you do have the liquidity, so you're interesting to a broader range of investors, you have to be careful with the debt. It's, it's very hard to be trading in and out of a cyclical industry with very high debt when you can't, can't predict at all what your income is gonna be. So. Um, what is the ideal shipping company for the next 10 years? I would say, obviously, $1 billion market cap or even much more. I think that ceiling has come down just because we're dealing with dozens and dozens of micro-cap companies, but we would really prefer it to be $5 billion or something much more substantial so we could bring back institutional investors which would, with long hold. But how would you do that? You'd have to provide some kind of predictable income, and that means, I think, more equity and just take the stress out of the balance sheet. Therefore, during the cycles which are inevitable, um, that you can always produce some income. An interesting conversation that was brought up earlier around individual sectors and shipping and whether it should be more diversified. Uh, that's also maybe something that, that can and, and should evolve where what we're representing is the maritime industry, the, the, what we are as a taxi service for commodities around the world. 
it, uh, it might not be so specifically important whether you have a Suez Max tanker or a product tanker or a container ship for that matter. That what you're doing is providing a logistics service for the, for the transportation of global commodities. And what you're doing is, is having the scale that provides an efficiency and an expertise to service your customers' needs that produces a predictable, steady, maybe various uh, lengths of contracts, but something that you can take to a bank and get um, reasonably priced, moderate financing, and therefore have enough cash flow left over for dividend. And if you are large enough, then you then could be interesting to institutional investors. So th there's a lot in that statement, and it, I, I know uh, being in this industry my whole life, right now it doesn't feel like we're in a great position, but I do think some of the merges that are being talked about, the access to the public markets, improving the communication, showing more discipline, that over time that, that can prevail. Just jump in. I, 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 I agree with everything Art said. I just add to that. Um, you know, they talked in the last panel about, about all the banks that have shipping exposure that probably don't want that exposure going forward. And so when you think about that financing hole to fill, they're not going to be able to hold as much shipping paper on their balance sheets. They're going to have to syndicate it out, sell it to others, or there's going to have to be other financial markets that develop. And for, for whether it's the term loan B market or the high yield market, or, um, or just other syndicated forms of bank finance, they're going to have to sell that on to customers. And I think what that's going to mean is you don't just have the banking relationship that's comfortable giving somebody the amount of leverage uh, that, they've, that they've provided in the past. It has to really clear the market. And so that may provide its own checks on the amount of leverage that, that companies are able to provide, which, which you know, as a follow-on to the, the dominoes falling means that other forms of flexible capital um, are also going to be needed. But, um, you know, obviously the high yield and the financing markets have been known to do stupid things as well. So it's incumbent upon the boards and the managers not to, uh, not to over leverage themselves either. Um, one other ramification is when you do go out and syndicate um, debt to a, to a pool of, of lenders, um, there is a much higher premium on corporate governance. And um, so I think you're going to probably see pressures to, to move away from um, you know, from some of the, you know, just kind of family-controlled, single-entity-dominated de decision-making that goes on in uh, at companies today, if they want to be able, if they're going to want to be able to take advantage of uh, financing markets going forward. You want to? No, I mean, I, I I I agree with everything that's been said. There there is a little bit of a, a chicken and egg situation though, because as leverage comes down, I think that puts significant pressure on asset values, right? I mean, as weight average cost of capital, it's simple. You know, finance math, right? As as the wax start increasing because your concentration in debt goes down, you know, asset value inflation can't really exist. It puts natural pressure on asset prices, and so uh, it also, I think, changes the ability to do mergers, right? I mean, I don't think that you can expect institutional capital to come in in size until there's momentum within the industry. But unfortunately, unless you have debt table funding, in most instances, big trades can't get done because people don't have the equity on hand. Um, and so it's a little bit of a conundrum that we're stuck in right now where banks leaving the market, uh, while it's good for and bringing leverage down um, uh, uh, for creating these yield-oriented products, uh, there's going to have to at some point be, um, you know, a meeting, a, a balance, an equilibrium in terms of the leverage side. And, you know, the, the big problem that, and I've, I've sat on this panel a few times and talked about this a few times, the big problem and, and the reason why it's very different than aviation in my mind comes down to the arts. 
and the fact that you, uh, you know, in aviation you have two primary producers, right? You have Airbus and you have Boeing. Uh, you do have some ancillary producers, but outside of that you have an understanding of what your supply of vessel base is. Within shipping, you have absolutely no prudence on that front, uh, where every time every market gets hot, um, you have a massive amount of orders that come through. And so that's obviously not a new story to anyone in shipping, but it, is, it has its uh, ancillary impacts in terms of not lending itself well necessarily to uh, uh, real private equity style investing, not lending itself well to financing. And so I think the yield asset outcome is going to be the result of a necessary evil because you can't rely on asset values. Um, anymore, uh, but uh, the the movement out of debt it, it's creating problems for everyone. I think. I have a bunch more questions, but we're out of time, so I'll turn to you guys to see if anybody has any questions out there for this panel. If everybody is uh, just ready for lunch, I guess I'll thank the panel for their insight. Um, I think we could have done this for hours. I appreciate it. Thank you.